Good morning, church. Isn't that great? I mean, come on. That is, that's what it's all about right there. That is public professions of faith. I mean, y'all went out to the beach, literally got put in water, the dirty beach water, because you've been made clean. Now, that's just awesome. I love it. We had people coming up asking about our church after that, because that is a true public declaration of your faith. Like, it's not just our church family who saw that, but people who don't even know Jesus. So thank you. Um, but for those of you who don't know me, my name is David Frost. I'm the pastor resident here, and I am uh, so blessed and honored uh, with the opportunity to come and speak to you all today. So thank you for being here. And just to reiterate, you know, if you are new here, please don't be shy about it. Um, come find us at Next Steps. Um, and if you're here and you know someone's here that isn't here, go find them, go welcome them, love them like your family. Love them like your family, seriously. We, we want to celebrate people joining us. So thank you for being here. Um, but if you guys all don't mind turning to Matthew chapter 18, uh, that's what will be for today's message. And while you guys are turning there, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard the acronym GOAT before? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, no. Um, it stands for greatest of all time. See, this, this term often gets thrown around when you're talking about sports or musicians or, uh, you know, artists of all types of kinds. But this question of who is the greatest always is lingering. It's something we're drawn to naturally as people. Who is the greatest of this or that? If you want to catch me afterwards, I can explain why LeBron is greater than Michael Jordan. But we don't, that's what I'm here for today. But this question of who is the greatest is always at the front of our minds. And it's, it's enticing. It's nice to talk about. And sometimes we wonder, can I be the greatest? I want to be great. I want to be able to be recognized and loved and adored by people. Not much different from the disciples in our passage today. So if you guys uh, read with me in Matthew chapter 18, uh, we jump in here in Matthew 18 and the disciples approach Jesus and they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven to Jesus? And, calling to, and Jesus calling to himself a child, uh, he puts the child in the midst of them and says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. You see, the disciples were focused on their own greatness, jumping into this passage. They were expecting Jesus to create this earthly kingdom. They expected him to defeat Rome and be this reigning king of the earth. Now we know Jesus is king, but it's a little different. He reigns in the heavenly kingdom, in his kingdom. But the disciples were focused on an earthly kingdom, and they were more focused on their own greatness than they were about God's glory. You see, and so Jesus, being Jesus, uh, answers their question a little differently. He explains greatness a little differently than how we might perceive it or how we recognize it today, especially in our society. In fact, um, it's a part of our series, is the reason we're looking like this, is because we're talking about a series called Healthy Hearts. And our message today is a humble heart, and Jesus explains humility as greatness. Because in order to have a healthy heart, we must first have a humble heart. In order to have a healthy heart, we must first have a humble heart. So, uh, what we'll find here in this passage in Matthew are a few characteristics of a humble heart, and the first of these being that a humble heart does not have an ego, right? A humble heart doesn't have an ego. Now, that's just another way to say humble, but... Who's going to, you know, use the same word to explain what they're saying? So uh, what we find, what we see in the passage is that, you know, the disciples run up to Jesus and they, they ask him, who is the greatest? Now, like I said, Jesus, he's good at answering questions, but not the way we want him to. 
He doesn't give the disciples names. He doesn't give them his own name. He doesn't point to them and say, you're going to have this plot of land, you're going to have this. Instead, Jesus answers this question in the most Jesus-like way by calling a child to him. He doesn't even talk about greatness to start. He brings a child into his midst, and this is a big deal. This is a huge statement about who Jesus is and what Jesus is trying to portray. Because at this time in Jewish culture, um, children were not seen as we see children today. You know, we look at kids and we say, oh, that, that's a blessing from the Lord. That's awesome. You know, you love on your kids. You, you care for them deeply. You know, they're, they're the light of our lives at times. They motivate us and we love them deeply. But at this time in culture, children weren't really seen as anything more than property. Uh, children were oftentimes uh, just seen as something you had to watch over and look out for. They weren't loved or cared for as we care for kids today. Children were not seen in the same light that they were. They were just property. And oftentimes, they, you could say that they were almost the lowest of the low in Jewish culture. The only thing, you know, being lower than them are those who were seen as unclean, those who were riddled with disease and were forced to wander. But children were still not too far ahead of that. They weren't seen as something amazing. And so Jesus calls this child to him. Uh, he's asked who's the greatest, and he says, you know, bring this child to me, and the child runs over to him. And this is a big deal about Jesus, because Jesus has the opportunity to talk about his kingdom and say how great, you know, he is or the Father, but no, 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 no. Jesus doesn't make this about his name. He doesn't make this about his own personal glory. Instead, what he does is he compares greatness to that of being a child, he, because he is a humble king and servant. Jesus is humble about who he is. The people have seen Jesus. They've heard, his, uh, have heard of his great works. They've heard of how he's healed people. He's resurrected people. How uh, he has gone and taught and people have been, crowds have been following him. But even Jesus himself would tell people not to go and spread of his works. Jesus was humble in his works because he was not seeking to do what was his first desire. He was seeking the desire of the Father. And he does the Father's will. You know, uh, he is one with the Father as John 5 tells us. And Jesus didn't have this ego. He refused to let who he was and who he knew he was as king to separate him and the people he had been placed around. He was willing to greet the lowest of society, to greet and hold a child, a child that's not even his. Um, and that's a, that's a huge statement about who he is. And um, there's something to be said that Jesus has to have a warmth to him as well for a child to run up to you. We all know kids. We have kids in the room. We love them. But, you know, they don't know somebody. that They're a little shy. They're hesitant. You ever been around a newborn baby? They just stare at you. They just... I mean, they don't, they don't respond immediately. And toddlers can very much be the same at times. You walk up and they, they hold mom and dad's leg. They hide behind them. But Jesus calls out to this child we don't even know if they've met before, and yet the child comes running to him. And it says that, you know, Jesus is this humble man. He's, he's loving, and he refuses to let that ego get in his way. He greets this child as if he's known him his entire life. Now let's look at ourselves for a minute. You see, we as people, especially when it comes to ourselves and our occupations and our friend groups, we get caught up in having an ego. We don't even realize it sometimes. We, we fall into this trap of entitlement, this expectation that others around us are going to honor us as greater than them. You know, you're a CEO and you want everybody to treat you as such. Nobody can approach you. You're the leader of the friend group. 
I mean, it's a big joke all over social media about friend group leaders telling their, their friends to do something they all follow. And if you go against it, then obviously something's wrong with you. You know, it's become a huge joke. But the fact that, like, they are seeing themselves as greater than someone else. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't view himself as greater than the people he's with. He doesn't view himself as a greater than a child, nor does he see himself as greater than the uh, disciples. He refused to let his ego get in the way while we allow our, ego, our egos and our entitlements to affect our relationships. Our egos and our, um, and our entitlement tend to build this wall between us. When you allow your own self-view to become so great that you view yourself better than someone else, there's now a wall between you. you it's hard to pass through that wall, too. You say, well, I shouldn't be able to answer everything for you, or I can't do anything that you want me to because I'm this person. You know, I am this role in my, my company. I'm, you know, a churchgoer. I can't hang out with you. I, you know, I serve in my church. I do this. We let our, our identities of what we do take over who we are, and we build this false identity of who we are. We build an ego and entitlement, and it affects every relationship we're in. It's hard to break through that wall that we see, and everything that revolves around that relationship is no longer centered in the love of Christ, but it's centered around you and what you can get from them. Or it's centered around you and what they, don't do, what they do that you don't like. There's a wall between you, and it's hard to break through that. But a humble heart doesn't. It doesn't build a wall. A humble heart greets these people. It greets the lowest of the low. It sees them as people. You see, um, egos really tend to be a part of everything. Now, in case you didn't know, um, I love baseball. I grew up playing baseball. I'm a Yankees fan. You can talk to me later about it if you're worried about me. Um, but I love it. Baseball was my thing. I played it growing up, um, you know, played it until I was, you know, 16, 17. Um, and I would never say I was great at baseball. I'd say it was mediocre to average, a good way to, to title it as a glorified little leaguer, um, you know. And I really didn't find my stride until I started to pitch. So I started pitching around the time uh, I was in high school, and I started to become good. I started to become, you know, a competent baseball player. I could throw strikes well. I didn't have much behind it, but it worked. Um, and one thing I didn't know I was doing subconsciously is that every time I struck a kid out, I would watch him walk all the way back to the dugout from the mound. I'd just watch him go every single time. I didn't realize I was doing this until one of my teammates' moms pointed out. Mrs. White comes up to me and she goes, David, I just love that you watch those kids back to the dugout every time you strike them out. It cracks me up. And I was like, I do that? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, huh. And I started to do it more. I started to enjoy it. I see, I, I built this ego around myself, you see, because there's this statement about pitchers that you've probably heard before, is that in order to pitch, you have to have an ego. You have to think greatly of yourself in order to pitch. Because what pitching really is, it's a battle between the pitcher and the batter about who's the better player. Mm -hmm. You're trying to prove yourself as better than someone else. And for me, that's what pitching became. I was worried about proving myself to every single person out there, so much so that I wanted everyone else around me to be lower than I was. And that's a problem. Y'all, we do that in our relationships. When we let our egos get in the way, when we let our view of self, we let entitlement fill in the blank for you, we create this wall where we see ourselves better than someone else. And that's not the call of a believer. If Jesus can meet the lowest of society, then who are we to say we're greater than those as well? It doesn't matter if we're in church four times a month. It doesn't matter if we're watching online. It doesn't matter if you tithe every week or you don't. At the end of the day, we are all children running to God. 
I don't want you to miss that. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. You'll get more of that later. But um, the thing about baseball, though, is that these pitchers, they, they are so focused on themselves and creating this difference between themselves and others. They, they let their egos get in the way, and they generally have the biggest breakdowns. Chris Sale, you know, a pitcher for the Red Sox, has been recovering for years from injury. He went to the minor leagues, um, gave up a couple runs, hated that he gave up a couple runs to guys who hadn't even made it to the big leagues, went inside, started throwing stuff around the dugout, punching walls. You, I mean, it was terrible. It was, a, it was a total breakdown, a meltdown. Broke his hand. He was so focused on himself. He was so focused on his performance that he no longer cared about his teammates or the, those around him. Because pitchers tend to play the game to build up themselves. We tend to live life to build up ourselves, our name, our kingdom, to create our own name. But you see, that's not what a humble heart does. You see, my second point, or second characteristic, is that a humble heart doesn't seek its own glory, but instead it's like a child. So you're saying, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to be like a child? Not seek your own glory and be like a child. Well, jumping into our text, um, we see that Jesus calls this child to him, and the child runs up to him. And then in verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever humbles himself like this child. You see, a humbler follower of Jesus and to be like a child means you're not worried about how others look at you. I mean, seriously, you're not. You're a kid, you're a toddler, running towards your parents, fully depending upon them. You see, full dependency upon God is total trust for him in every situation you have been placed in. It's trusting in the Lord and the hard circumstances and in the easy ones. And oftentimes, it's not easy. I recognize full dependency is not an easy task. You've probably felt something like this before in your life, where you pray to God and say, Lord, I am giving this to you. Whatever this struggle or this issue is, finances, jobs, uh, you know, starting a family, uh, whatever it is, trying to figure out what's next for your life, you tend to say, Lord, I, I need you to be over this. Take control of this. Then a little bit of time passes and you start to you know, lose trust because you're not seeing the, the answer and you start to pull the rope back towards you. You start to say, okay, well, I can do this myself. And then you realize, no, 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 I need to trust God. And it's this toil going back in prayer and falling into your own sense of trust. And then going back into prayer and giving it to God. I understand dependency isn't easy, but it's this call for our lives because a full dependency is like a child who depends on their parents. You know, and I'm talking about like an eight, nine, ten-year-old. You know, they have their own toys. They have attitudes. They love to make things about them. But look at a toddler. Look at a three, four, five-year-old. Look at a baby. See, children, they can't feed themselves. They can't give themselves a home. They have nothing to their name. They are fully dependent upon mom and dad or whoever their, their parent is in their life who fills that role to provide for them. They're looking towards them to give them everything they have, and they're not focused upon how every other kid views them. They want mom and dad at the end of the day. You know, when I was in preschool, um, I, remember, I remember vividly coming here. My mom dropped me off to go to preschool, and I cried, and I held on to my mom's leg. I was not trying to leave. That's the image of a child depending on their father or mother. And children, they have breakdowns at times. They cry, you know. Sometimes you try and feed your little toddler, and you're so focused on trying to get them to eat real food, and they're just saying no. They just want the go-go squeeze. That's a part of, yeah, the young, I'm not a parent, but I've seen it, you know. But 
that's, that's the reality is that as children, we, we are going to fall. We're going to have our temper tantrums, but we're fully dependent upon God to give us what we need, not just what we want. And so uh, as this child comes over and as, the, as Jesus tells them to make themselves be like a child, he's literally telling them to turn their lives to be just as a child, to be exactly like a child. You see, because a humbler follower of Jesus isn't focused on their own agenda. They're not focused on the world around them, upon making themselves great. They listen to their parents. They listen to God. A humbler follower of Jesus listens to what the Lord has called them to. You see, because this child ran to Jesus, and he listens. Children of God and a humbler follower of God are called to listen to, the call, uh, to the, what the Lord has placed on their life and to follow it fully. And humility means putting aside your own ideas and comfort about life and truly seeing others as they are. And that's a sinner in need of grace. Amen. You see, because we're, we're all once sinners in need of grace. And there's a large portion of us, I assume, in here who are sinners saved by grace now. Hallelujah. Which is beautiful and amazing, but that doesn't change who we are in the aspect of what we're called to do. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need Jesus every day of our life. And we are called to treat others the same, to show them Jesus every day. We can't live for our own name and glory because we get so focused upon a comfortable life or a good job or whatever it may be that your trust is totally dependent upon you. You're not predicating your trust in Jesus and what God is willing to give you. You're trying to make it all for yourself. And so uh, to turn and become like a child is to fully embrace Jesus and trust in him. It's knowing that he will provide. Maybe not with what we want, but what we need. And sometimes it's waiting. You guys don't give your kids everything they need at every moment. If you let a kid eat sweets all the time, they're going to get sick. But Jesus will give us what we need every single day. You see? And so we are called to follow the Lord. A humble heart follows the Lord. It, it ignores his own glory or her own glory to fully trust in Jesus and live for his. Running to God is hearing his word and his voice and submitting to it. It's following it. You see, Pastor Eric, you'll hear him say up here, you know, he's filled with the same Holy Spirit as the rest of you. I'm filled with the same Holy Spirit as the rest of you. You understand that just because someone gets up here and we, we preach and teach doesn't mean that God views us as some special child separate from the rest of you. God sees each of you as children. He sees each of us. We are all children running towards the Lord. We are all in need of the same grace we were given at one point, pursuing God fully, running after him and his, his mission, living for his mission. And we are all placed in different mission fields. If we all have the same Holy Spirit and we are all living the same life, running after God in full pursuit and full dependence upon him, then we all should have the same response to obey his call to follow. You see, Jesus wants us to follow after him. He wants us to follow his commands. He wants us to follow his example. And when a humble heart is running to Jesus and it's listening to his, hand, to his commands, it does follow his example. You see, the third characteristic and the last one we have for today of a humble heart is that a humble heart embraces others in love. Amen. A follower of Jesus who is fully dependent upon God will embrace others in love. 
we jump back in and we see, you know, Jesus tells them that you have to be like a child to be great in the kingdom. You have to be humble. You have to fully depend on God because it's his glory, not ours. And that he says in verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives a child, just as Jesus did, the lowest of the low, will receive him, will be like him. You see, that's this huge statement of faith because we are trusting that God is greater than I am. He's greater than political parties. He's greater than churches. He is greater than school systems. There's nothing that we have that is greater than God, and there's nothing on this earth that is. And if he's willing to embrace those around him who don't look like him, who don't live like him, who live different lifestyles than him, those who don't agree with him but still eat with them, to still love them and to, to care for them, then we should be called to do the same. We're called to love those around us despite how different they may be because they are still a child in need of grace. Amen. You see, now, love doesn't affirm sin. Love doesn't tell them, you know, you live life the way you want and you'll be fine. It doesn't tell you to find your own happiness. But love doesn't beat down on people. I think sometimes we get caught up in our ideology of Christianity and we think that our job is to beat down on those who don't live life like us or don't have the same preferences as us. And in a way, we're thinking we're greater than they are because we've received Jesus. But you see, we were sinners in need of grace too, just as they are. And if we can't be the people to show them the love of Christ that we've received, then where are they going to see it? You see, Jesus embraced all of these people in that way. He embraced everybody as an opportunity to save them and to heal them, to love them. Jesus even says the greatest commandment aside to uh, honor God first in your life is to uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we have been loved by Christ well, then we are called to love others well. That's how we show them Jesus. You see, a humble heart graciously has received uh, this same salvation and the same light from Jesus, and it doesn't withhold it, but in fact, it spreads it and it tells it to others. It greets them in love, and when the opportunity arises, it shares the gospel. It shows them who Jesus is. You see, there's a plethora of things in the world that are changing around us that we, that we may not like. We all have our own preferences, but the reality is our preferences is just a part of our own entitlement. We want the world to look the way we want it to look. And we need to submit to the way Jesus wants us to live, look the way Jesus wants us to, to work. You see, to uh, people living lives that aren't looking like ours doesn't mean we need to uh, disown them, to cast them out as the lowest of society, but instead embrace them fully. To love them as you were loved by Christ. It means to listen to them and get to know them. It means to hear their stories, to care for them. You see, because Jesus is humble enough to greet the lowest of society, why can't we greet those who don't look like us, who don't act like us? That is our call. And we have been given the mission of, of God to spread his name throughout the nations. That starts with love. It starts with love. Because whoever receives one such child in Christ's name receives Jesus. You see, Jesus met us all living that same life as the people we can look down on now who live in sin. Seriously. We may not struggle with the same sin that they do, but they were sinners doomed to eternity just as we once were. In fact, Jesus 
didn't have to save any of us. Jesus, one day, came down as fully God and fully man. You know, he lived, he was born as a, as a baby and lived an entire life free from sin. He lived a life that would never once fell into the temptation of sin, never once engaged in sin, yet he had a ministry full of sinners that he loved for and cared for. He healed people, he prophesied, he, he, uh, he rescued, and he cared for people. He sought them out when no one else would. And eventually, after teaching them of who he is, there was a time that came when Jesus would be killed on a cross and paid the price for their sins and for our sins. You see, Jesus didn't die on that cross just because the Pharisees didn't like what he was saying. Jesus didn't die on that cross because he was forced to. He died on that cross so that we could live in relationship with him. Jesus took the wrath of God on our behalf so we can live with God. So who are we to withhold that from others? You see, a humble heart recognizes that we have this salvation of Jesus. We have received this grace from Jesus that we were brought into this new life that we once had, and that means we are called to live that life and to show that to others. We are called to live a life that shows Jesus to others, meets them where they are, and introduces them to who he is. We point others to the one who saves us. You see, because we don't save the people. We don't fix people. We're not the one who can take their sin and change it. Only Jesus can take the sin and change it. The gospel changes everything, church. I mean, if you truly believe the gospel changes everything, then you have felt that. You have felt how the gospel has changed us, how the gospel has changed what we believe and what we feel, who we are, what our identity is. The gospel changes us, and we understand that it can change them too. So our mission is to show them Jesus. Our mission is to meet them despite who they are, despite how they look, and to care for them so that they may encounter Jesus, that we may be a piece in the puzzle that God uses to save them. We're not going to be the one to fix them, so why should we act like we can? Let's love them and point them to the one who can save them. Because the greatest are those who receive others the way Jesus received us. That is humility. And we love to debate about who the greatest is in life. We really do. It's enticing. It's fun. And it's fun arguments. But when we get so focused on our own greatness, we are missing the picture of Jesus. We're missing the picture of the kingdom of God. Greatness for us isn't about how much money we make. It's not about the people we know. It's not about the networking we have. Greatness is about seeing others as the same person we are. People who need Jesus. Greatness is embracing them and pointing them to the Father, living fully dependent upon God. When we are gathered in our own greatness, and we are enticed by our own greatness, we must realize that we are no longer trusting in God and turn fully to him. You see, the greatest are those who depend upon God. Jesus tells us the greatest are those who turn like a child, to be as a child was. To fully know that and trust in Jesus, to call him Father, and to listen to his commands. For the greatest in the kingdom is those who humble himself like a child. So maybe you're here today. You've never trusted in Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You could have been here for 50 years, but you've never trusted in Jesus. Can I say he sees you right now, and he offers you grace, and he loves you. 
Or maybe you're in this room and you're, you're dealing with something. It's hard for you to trust in Jesus right now. It's hard to depend on him to give you what you need because times are tough. You're struggling financially. You're struggling to find a place to live or to put food on the table. Or you're struggling within your marriage or your friendship. Something is holding you back and it's hard. Can I say God is waiting for you with open arms to hold you and love you? And you see, in a few minutes, uh, well, the band will be back up here and they'll be playing some music. We'll be worshiping again. In that time, we're going to have ministers down here at the front. This will be after I pray. We'll have ministers down in the front. I'll be down here and the altar will be open. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus or God is calling you into a new mission field or calling you into further trust, run towards that. Come to the altar. Pray to the Lord because he's the Father who will embrace you. And we have ministers down here to talk to you if you need it. We care for you deeply and we love you deeply. And we're here to show you that same love that Jesus has because there's no one too far gone who is too far to get from Jesus. So I'll pray, we'll worship, and then we'll be out of here. So um, Father God, uh, we just thank you for today. Um, we thank you for this time we have had today just to uh, revel, to, to, to worship in your glory, to see you and to see your face and with joy sing praises to you to sing of your mighty works and proclaim of your mighty works and how you have saved each of us. And Lord, I am thankful that you have brought each of us here today um, just to listen deeper into who you are, to study your word, and to see that the greatest of those are those who are humble, Lord. In your kingdom, there is no place for our own self-pride and self-identity, uh, Lord, and what we built, but we are found solely in you. Lord, you are the one who covered us in your glory. For when you see us, you, uh, you see your son, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you for all you have done. Uh, we thank you for drawing us into deeper dependency and for uh, making us understand that without you, there is no other way. So Lord, we love you and we praise you in your holy name. Amen.